we're the dedication of the wall. We're in Nehemiah, chapter 12, verse 27. I'm going to read through those verses up to chapter 13, verse 3. And they're going to dedicate the wall. We're going to, they're going to go out this western gate right here on the valley, the valley gate. Ezra's going to lead a group around this way, come in the, the, the water gate that we're very familiar with. We've looked at pictures of it. You can stand there today. Then they go up into the Temple Mount. Nehemiah is going to not lead, but he will follow or go along with the group going up here and come in on the north side, and they'll meet right here, have a great, great festive time. In fact, the word, for you can see the very first thing on there, uh, it's a dedication or a uh, celebration, and the word that is in there in the Hebrew is the word Hanukkah, which means dedication. And so, very nice. We're talking about the Hanukkah, the dedication of the walls right in the middle of Hanukkah because there's going to be basically four Hanukkahs in the Bible, not what they celebrate. They celebrate 165 B.C. when the Temple Mount was retaken uh, from the Seleucids by uh, Judas Maccabeus and his group. And that would be on December 8th, uh, our time, and then they're in the middle of celebrating that. That's the... The, the one they celebrate, or the Feast of Lights, but also Solomon had a Hanukkah, the dedication of the Temple Mount. Uh, Zerubbabel, they had, we talked about it earlier, uh, 516, they had a ha Hanukkah, a dedication of the Temple, and now here is the Hanukkah, or the dedication of these walls, and uh, we're in the midst of Hanukkah, talking about Hanukkah, which kind of, it's almost like a Christmas message during Christmas, the Hanukkah message during the Hanukkah. Chapter uh, 12, verse 27, you can see in your Bibles, there's probably a title right there called Dedication of the Walls of Jerusalem. Nehemiah has already gone by. He's got the walls secured. He solved problems around the area as far as enemies, solved some social issues, and now they're ready to dedicate the walls. So chapter 12, verse 27, at the dedication of the wall. Also, another thing that takes place is Nehemiah. The book of Nehemiah goes back into first person. You'll see it here. That's one of the first notes I've got. The last time we heard first person was chapter 7, verse 5, where Nehemiah is talking about I, and he's in the first person. Since that time, it's been about Nehemiah. They've talked about Nehemiah, but it's always been in the third person. So it's assumed, which again, here's your biblical criticism. These are documents that are being put together, and not that Nehemiah is sitting down writing the book of Nehemiah starting and he just tells a story. You've got, we've even seen records come out of Chronicles and be inserted. Ezra's got parts in here. Some of it appears to be a, a group of material which we would call Nehemiah's uh, memories or the memo, how do you say that word? Memo, thank you. That's got a strange ending there. I can't say it. I'm learning Hebrew with Tyler, my grandson. We're having a lot of fun. We're doing, you should see him read he i mean he i'm really happy with him but he's he's he he's always correcting me not not to be mean but i i don't even speak english right and now he's now he I, i'm not pronouncing my vowel points correctly ah eh, you know and, and he is because he's he's learning he hears better uh, he's young and i got an ah sound and an e sound and they all just go together he's like no that's not right it's and then he gives me a new vowel sound it's like well, that carries over into my English, and he's now correcting me. He says, say that word again, and now he's listening to all my vowels in my English, and it's like, I, I, I'm a terrible speaker. Uh, why am I saying that? Oh, memoirs. I, it's like, that's a hard thing for me to say. Uh, going back to the concept here, is, uh, it appears Nehemiah is taking like a journal or keeping track of, uh, as an administrator, and some of this information being taken right out of his and put in here. Indeed, it's written by Nehemiah. Indeed, it's scripture. But who's compiling this information? It could be Nehemiah, but it also could be someone that's putting all this information together. Like Moses put together the first five books. He didn't, well, you decide. I don't think he sat down and wrote, you know, God, like I said, God didn't dictate to him on the, on the mountain. Just in the beginning, you know, how do you spell that? You know, it's, it's there, even in the, in the Genesis, it's, it's the totally dote formula. Uh, it, it, this is the account of Jacob. This is the account of Shem. This is the account of Noah. It's totally dote in the Hebrew. Almost giving the impression, this is the totally dote of, this is, this is this document, and this is this document. And it's possible those documents were written firsthand as they are happening, we don't know who the author is, but they are official documents that were then handed down 
not a stretch. Noah took them on the ark. A bunch of stuff was wiped out. Noah gets off the ark, and now these are the documents from before the flood. Even the Assyrians talk about documents from before the flood that they had writings. The, our, our Savannahville definitely does. Well, then those would have been handed down through a faithful line, you know, Shem or wherever. Possibly ends up with Abraham, at least copies of it with Abraham. It's like, well, how Abraham carried those. It's like, well, Abraham had a bunch of servants, had flocks. I mean, Abraham was a well-to-do individual, a powerful individual. So there's very likely he had these records. They end up in Egypt, and they come out with Moses. So Moses is not just sitting on a mountain making stuff up. He may have access to, well, he was trained in all the wisdom of Egypt, plus had access to potentially literature uh, that has been handed down since, you know, the beginning of time, and, uh, and then edited those books. So it's like, well, so you're attacking Scripture. Not at all. I mean, it's like, unless you want Moses sitting on a mountain being dictated by God, like Paul wrote his letters, you know, God dictating to him. I mean, that's not what happened, you know. They're, they're inspired word of God, but they were uh, somehow put together. Nonetheless, when we begin chapter 12, verse 27, this book goes back into first person, which appears to be the memoirs of Nehemiah. Here it is. At the dedication of the wall of Jerusalem, the Levites were sought out from where they lived and were brought to Jerusalem to celebrate joyfully, the word joy is going to be said five times, the dedication with songs of thanksgiving and with the music of cymbals, harps, and lyres. Uh, the singers also were brought together from the region around Jerusalem. And here's the name of the city, the village they're in. The villages of the Netophonthites from Beth Gilgal and from the area of Geba. And so that would be, real quickly, I'll say it again, that the Netophonthites is near Bethlehem. The Beth Gilgal may be Gilgal over by Jericho, the, the place of the stones that they set down. Uh, and the area of Geba, that's just, just north of Jerusalem. That's like two miles right here, Geba, where uh, the high place of Geba. So that's where the singers were, and they brought them in. Now, the, all these people have gone out and were basically, you're going to see the temple get reset up again. They're going to reinstitute, restart the collection of the tithe, the storing of the tithe, the distribution of the tithe again tonight. So this thing keeps going. They're going to get the temple up and operating and then it starts to fade away. Now, if no one's supporting the temple, the Levites, the singers, they've got to go back to the farms and start raising a crop. And they're supposed to be in here working. Well, there's nothing to eat there, so they've got to go back. And that's why you see them coming from the villages. Uh, <clears throat> and I'll tell you ahead of time, when we come back next week and we go to chapter 13, Nehemiah is going to have his time of 12 years is going to be up, and he's got to go back to Artaxerxes check in again what was going on there but he was had been given permission for apparently 12 years he checks in leaving others in charge chapter 13 is going to record a time when he comes back for a second time and visits jerusalem and guess what has happened everything went back the way it was the storerooms that he's going to set up tonight are going to be cleared out and there's going to be foreigners living on the Temple Mount when Nehemiah gets back. Imagine spending 12 years getting this all set up, the big dedication of, I think you guys have this, I need to go check in, and then you come back, if it's a few months, whatever later you come back, a couple years, and there's pagans living in the Temple Mount, and the storerooms are empty, which is supposed to be collecting, putting stuff in there to feed the priests, the singers, the Levites, to keep the, the, the Temple in operation. Well, if the pagans are living on the temple mount they're not conducting the services the way they're supposed to be they're going back to a pagan type of, of culture and all the work of ezra and nehemiah and the whole purpose of the return of the exiles they're just going to intermarry with another nation and they, they're going to be gone and so that's the way that's where this we got a great story tonight but when you turn the page to chapter 13 nehemiah goes back they all collapse which is sad verse 30 when the priests and Levites had purified themselves ceremonially, they purified the people, the gates, and the walls. So the priests are purified, the Levites are purified, uh, the people are purified, and then the walls and the gates. And the purification is basically, in a sense, it's, it's reclaiming 
something for God. God's got a purpose for the priests. They've gone away from it. So now they're going to be purified, brought back, and dedicated so God can use them. Same way Levites, the people, the walls, the gates. All these things are being reestablished as God's. And God is going to use the gates, the walls, the people, the priests, the Levites for his purpose. That's what the purification is. They're reestablishing God's ownership and God's purpose for them. Verse 31, here it is. I had the leaders. Nehemiah says, I had the leaders of Judah go up on top of the wall. I also assigned two large choirs to give thanks. Now you can see the map right here. They're going to go, they're going to apparently be meeting in this area right here. They're going to go up on the wall, right, basically right where David's palace is at. In this general area where the palace of David had been, they're going to go up and they're going to go out on this valley gate. And one group is going to go this way. The other group is going to go this way. There's two choirs. We'll talk about this. One was to proceed on top of the wall to the right. We'll talk about that because if you look right here, it's going this way. You say, that's not to the right. That's to the left. And that's the difference between you being a Westerner and me. And though they're being in a Semitic, their reference. But they're going to, it says right here, the right. Towards the dung gate. See right here? The dung gate's down here. Here's a bunch of names. Hushiah and, the ha- and half the leaders of Judah followed them along with Azariah, Ezra, Meshulam, Judah, Benjamin, Shemaiah, Jeremiah, as well as some priests with trumpets. And also Zechariah, son of Jonathan, and the son of she- Shemaiah, and the son of Mat- Mataniah, the son of Mac- Micaiah, and the son of Zakur the son of Asaph, and his associates, Shemaiah, Azarel, Melaliah. I just told you how bad I pronounce English words. Here I am running through a bunch of Hebrew names. Gil-El-I, Ma-I, Nathaniel, Judah, and Hannah-I, with musical instruments prescribed by David, the man of God. Now this is important too. By da- prescribed by David, the man of God. I want you to understand this, a huge issue for me at least. Many people right here, and we've talked about it before, they do not think the Old Testament is authentic. They think it was made up around this time, sometime between 586 with the fall of Jerusalem, the captives go into Babylon, and the time they come back, say 444 B.C., sometime during that period, the scribes in Babylon wrote a fictional account of their history. It's like they got control of Google, rewrote all of history, and says that's what really happened. Everybody Google it, found out, that's what happened. And they just believed all this. I mean, everything from the books of Genesis to the stories of Abraham, the account of Moses, the slavery account, uh, and then the kingship of David, Solomon, and all the kings. And if you notice this book right here, it, for me, it's like that, that's, a, that's a theory. And as a, as a Bible student study, it's like, is that possible? I, I was approached with that in the 70s in college. It's that, that's like, this is what they wanted me to believe. I got in trouble because I argued with them. I argued with them, and they gave me C's in my religion class. Because it's like, I probably wasn't arguing real good, you know, uh, I was 18, 19 years old. But it's like, you're, you're, you're just making this up. Nonetheless, as you read through this, this is the time period. Ezra's probably one of the key guys of fabricating this history but look what's happening we've already seen the people ask for the law to be read to them and they had access to these scrolls and now they're going to be referring to david solomon we saw last week or a couple weeks ago when uh, uh ezra the people ezra was or nehemiah was talking to the people he says you're going to end up just like solomon you can't be marrying these foreign women that's what solomon did and it sent the whole nation into into captivity is you intermix with these foreign nations now that's just rolling off of his tongue this is what solomon did and all the people go ah yeah it's like if this is a forged document it would only be 20 40 top 70 years old that it's been forged who knows about it? I mean, I mean they don't have internet. It's not like they're, you know, it's going out on there, it's you know, going to spread across all social media. This, this, I mean, this is just, when it says this, David, the man of God, and it's going to mention Solomon, these are references to the historical reality of these people. 
the practices that they instituted back in 1000 BC and the traditions that has gone through 900, 800, 700, 600, now in 400 BC, the, the families are still there. The memories are still there. The knowledge of this is what we do is still there. Plus, the text and the documents are still there. It, it's amazing. To, I mean, for me, again, and understand, I'm a, I, I'm a simple shop teacher. But for me, it, it's, it's stupid that the academics that are teaching in seminaries with all the education look at something like this and say, ah, we are so wise, thinking to be wise they became fools. This was all fabricated. It's too glorious. It's too amazing uh, for it to actually be real. Someone must have forged it. And that's, that's some of your top academics. And then you send your young men off to seminary to be trained by these guys to come back and pastor your churches. And now you've got idiots in the pulpit, not because they're idiots, but because they were trained by the best, which are the worst, because they don't even believe the Word of God. And now what are they going to preach? What is your authority here for even looking at this? Why would you even care? It wasn't even real in that time. Why, why are we going to read it in 2023? And if that's your philosophy, if that's your worldview, imagine stepping in the pulpit on Sunday morning and addressing a congregation of people where this was a, this was a forgery in 400 B.C. Now, 2,500 years later, I'm sure I can find some better material. Let me look in some motivational website and see if I can help you with something. Uh, that's, that's paganism. Okay, amen. Okay, but I get excited when I see this right here, and it's, it's simple. It says, with the musical instruments prescribed by David, the man of God. They're doing what David told them to do. How do they even know who David is? Ezra just made him up a few weeks ago. But they've already got an entire musical staff with songs, instruments, positions, Levites, and, and singers, and, and we'll get into more of it. Ezra, the scribe, led the procession, that's this one right here, led the procession, and the, at the fountain gate, they continued directly up to the steps of the city of David. Here's the fountain gate down here, up the steps right here to the city of David, uh, on the ascent to the wall and passed above the house of David, passed above the house of David, that it's still there, because David was a real person, had a real foundation of the remains of his real palace that he really took from the Jebusites. How do you know this? Well, they're walking by. They're saying, oh, there's where David used to live, or the remains of. We can still see the remains today. And the water gate on the east. And again, I've mentioned this, but I'm going to say it again. The water gate, it's been excavated. I've stood in there. You can go stand in there. But when they excavated it, they excavated down lower, and they found the remains of the 586 Babylonian destruction. So at this time, they're not saying, well, we should probably excavate this. We find some real interesting things from 70 years ago. Or we just build on top of it and get our city going again. And that's what they did. They just built on top of the ruins. Remember Nehemiah when he was in the palace in, in uh, Susa? He says the gates are burnt. They're, the gates still remain burnt. And so this was burnt. They just built over it and went about their day. Well, now, this last 10, 15, 20 years, they've excavated that and they've gone down through Nehemiah's remains and down into actually finding the remains of the fires of Babylon and they've done that in many other places. So that water gate, they, wow, that, this is all made up. Well, no, they excavated that and there's remains of a 586 destruction of Babylon destroying these people who some people want you to believe never even existed until Ezra came out of captivity and said, let me tell you a story. I mean, that's just huge, I think. Verse 38. The second choir proceeded in the opposite direction, coming out these same gates, going this way. And now remember, we've made these walls. I made several maps. Now we're going to find out. We're going to hear some names of gates and locations we've never heard before. Now you have because we've had the maps out. But here's where some of the information comes from. It says, I followed them. So Ezra's leading this group. Another group goes out here. And Nehemiah says, I followed this other group. I followed them in the opposite direction, or I followed them on the top of the wall together with half the people past the tower of the ovens to the broad wall right here, which we can see right here. It's been excavated 
it was built around 700 B.C. It's, it's been, they found it. It's a big, broad, large wall that would have come over here and connected right here. There would have been remains seen there at that time because none of this has been repaired. In 444 B.C., this is still a, a, the remain. If it was burnt when they came, it's still burnt at this time. Maybe some people are moving in, trying to do some, you know, some uh, you know, uh, remodeling or something. Uh, but this, you can still see it. That's why they, they go by the broad wall. We can see it here today. Over the gate of Ephraim, the Jesuit gate, the fish gate right up here, and that's going to come up in our story later, fish gate because that is direction of the Mediterranean Sea where the people came from Tyre to sell their fish. Also north going up to the Sea of Galilee. The Tower of Hananel right up in here. These are the, now the towers. See, the towers are here because this is where it's going to be attacked from which again would be a great place for a moat. And the Tower of a Hundred, as far as the Sheep Gate, and the Sheep Gate is right here because that's where the sheep were brought in. There's the Sheep Pool right out here, which is today we know it as the Pool of Bethesda. It's out here, it was the, originally the Sheep Pool. Even back in the Old Testament, that's where the sheep were at. At, at the Gate of the Guard, they stopped, and that's where ne Nehemiah's group comes in right here. The two choirs, that gave thanks, then took their places in the house of God. Right here, they're in the courtyard. So did I, Nehemiah says, together with half the officials as well as the priests. Oh boy, here comes the list of names. Eliakim, Mezaiah, Miniamin, Micaiah, Elioniah, Zechariah, and Hananiah with their trumpets. And also... Messiah, Shemaiah, Eliezer, Uzai, Jehohana, Melchijah, Elam, and Ezra. I'm just reading them as fast as I can so you can't keep up. You see, you're like, wait, wait, that's all right. He's like, hi, he's already four names ahead of me. It's like, yeah, there. The, the choirs sang under the direction of Jezrahiah, and on that day they offered great sacrifices so they're here, they're going to offer great sacrifices, rejoicing because God had given them great joy. So this is a ceremony, but it's also a legitimate celebration. I mean, they're going to come back every year and march on the walls. This was a, a, a big deal. They, they feel like the walls are done, the gates are secure, they've got the, the boards are coming, what do you call them? The, the timbers are coming down to lock them. They, they've got economics going on, they've got peace. It's been established sometimes by force. It's all coming together. They're like, okay, we're back on track. The women and children also rejoiced. The sound of rejoicing in Jerusalem could be heard far away. Again, you can say, ah, they really must be singing loud. Right, but remember, they've got trumpets. I mean, the trumpets are blasting. We've also got the, 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 the guitars, if you would, the tarps and lyres. They've got cymbals. And so you put all that together plus the trumpets. And this is a high place, you know, as far as being up you know, high. It's, it's going to radiate throughout the land plus all the shouting. Verse 44. At that time, men were appointed to be in charge of the storerooms. Now, there's, i got to tell you this. I'm going to read verse 44 and also chapter 13, verses 1 through 3. But in chapter 13, verse 1, it begins in the NIV, on that day, and in verse 44, at that time. You've got two accounts. I'm going to try to get through them tonight, along with this. But at that, meaning on this day, at that time, they're going to do these events, beginning in verse 44, are going to take place that day. And also on that day, chapter 13, verse 1, they're going to read from the book of Moses and find some things out. That, that is where they're inserted here. Uh, it's written in our English Bibles as if it was on that day. But you get back into the text and you see how it's written. Sometimes it's like... This seems like these maybe came before or their accounts, maybe not exactly that time. So just know that the way the English is presenting it is the way I'm going to present it, that right after this right here, they're on the Temple Mount, we're going to have these events in verse 44 to the end of the chapter, and then we're going to have chapter 13, verse 1 through 3, also taking place. And it's basically organization of some things. And then, if you want to look in chapter 13, verse 4, this is definitely a future day. Before this, he had, it causes problems in the NIV. Before this, Eliashib, the priest, had been put in charge of the storerooms. Now that's what he's going to take care of right now in verse 44. Nehemiah is going to organize the storerooms. 
And what you're going to find out right there is while, uh, uh, oh here, verse 6, but while all this was going on, I was not in Jerusalem. For in the 32nd year of Artaxerxes, 432, king of Babylon, I had returned to the king. So he'd gone back, and now he returns and finds things are in disarray. And we'll talk more about those dates and years and things right there. But So there's definitely a break there in verse 4, because that's after Nehemiah's gone and come back. So here we go, chapter 12, verse 44. At that time, after the celebration, maybe that afternoon, but you know, in the next few days, at that time, men were appointed to be in charge of the storerooms. Why? Because the storerooms are where they kept the tithe, the grain offerings, the food. It was the priests and the Levites' grocery store. It would be going to Hy-Vee, and nobody was driving trucks. You go to Hy-Vee, it's like there's nothing at Hy-Vee. I've got to go find a farm and start raising crops. But all of a sudden, we've got to get stuff in the, in the grocery stores for the priests and the Levites, the storerooms. So at that time, men were appointed to be in charge of the grocery store or the storerooms for the contributions, first fruits, and tithes. So people have a free will donation. You could have the first fruits of your crop or you could have the tithe, like the taxation, was all brought in and put on shelves, put some kind of storage in jars. So when the priests would come and get their daily, weekly allotment, when they'd come get their groceries, here's, here's what you need right here. And the storerooms were full. Now if the priests and Levites can come get their groceries, they can keep playing trumpets, they can keep singing songs, they can keep all making offerings, burning incense, giving up prayers. The Levites can keep teaching the Word. But all of a sudden, people stop tithing. It's like... I got a fan. I got to go get a job. I got to go. I got to go back to the farm, and that's what's going to take place. The storerooms are empty, and that when you read in chapter thirteen, verse four, five, and six, there, they have emptied out the storerooms, and Tobiah hadn't moved in to the storeroom. He's usually has an apartment complex there on the Temple Mount. Got great access to what's going on politically. All the power of the base right here. I'm living right here. Uh, they, ah, they used to have a grocery store in here, but this is kind of like my headquarters for the. Uh, the gangs right here, the, 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 the cartel will operate out of this storehouse right here. It's like a Nehemiah comes in and says, oh no, and it, it gets a, I love the story. Because Nehemiah comes back and says, I can't say it's probably profane, but he, he says something, and he starts throwing stuff out of the store, throwing his furniture and, and clearing the place. That's coming up in chapter 13. And it's like, why? Because you're supposed to have groceries in here for the priest, because if Tobiah's living in the storeroom, why is, why, is, why is it so easy for them in the storm? Well, the priests have all gone home. There's no one taking care of them. So that, that's, a, that's a, I mean, it's like a Bible story. I mean, this is, sounds like, this is just flat out stupid. I mean, these people aren't even godly. Okay. Anyway, they're doing the storeroom. Verse 45. They performed all the service for their God and the service of purification as did so the singers and the gatekeepers according to the, watch, according to the commands of David and his son Solomon. Because David established singers, Solomon established, it's not that's just a law, you've got the law of Moses, but then when David came in and when T Solomon built the temple, they established some other orders. Like David set up singers and a rotation of the priests. Solomon sets up more details. And they, they know what those are. And they're establishing it according to not just the law of Moses, but what David established, what Solomon established, giving these guys some great historical credit. For long ago, verse 46, long ago, in the days of David, Asaph, or David and Asaph, that'd be 1000 B.C., there had been directors for the singers and for the songs of praise and thanksgiving to God. That doesn't sound like something Ezra just scribbled down together real quick with some scribes in Babylon, because you've got families, you've got songs, you've got a rotation, you've got a, a calendar, a, a system of how it operates. So in the days of Zerubbabel and of Nehemiah, all Israel contributed 
uh, the daily portions for the singers. This is the tithe. This is the collection that's going in the storeroom. It's not just the priests or the Levites, although the Levites make up the singers. It's the singers and the gatekeepers. There's portions being collected from the days of Zerubbabel all, or Zach, yeah, Zerubbabel all the way up to Nehemiah. They also set aside the portion for the other Levites, and the Levites set aside a portion for the descendants of Aaron, or the priesthood. Chapter 13, verse 1. On that day, the book of Moses was read aloud in the hearing of the people, and there it was found, and I can show you the verses right out of Deuteronomy, found written that no Ammonite or Moabite should ever be admitted into the assembly of God. These are the verses right before you get to the place where Tobiah is living in the temple, or living in one of the storerooms. No Moabite or Ammonite should ever be admitted into the assembly of God. Because why? Now listen, here's one of those verses, and again, you, you got to think, that it's like, that doesn't sound very nice. God is going to say, have, these people are cursed. I'm done with them. Never deal with them. They ne don't even interact with them. They're, they're dead to me. Now this is, and it's going to go, reason why? Because in the 1400 B.C., they didn't treat my people right, so I'm done with them. Now this is 444 B.C. This is like a thousand years later, and there's still some around. God says, listen, don't, I told you, stop talking to those people. Don't even, don't. I'm done with them. Don't even let them in your community. It's like, whoa, what? Now, here's a couple things. That doesn't sound right. That, that seems, that, that seems kind of harsh. Okay, now, now you, you can think that, and you should process it, but understand, listen, we're reading the stinking Word of God. We're reading the revelation that God has handed down to His people, and now you're going, I find that kind of offensive. Why would God be so? It's like, I'm to the point where I don't, it's like, I'm not going to explain this. Why would God do that? I don't care why he would do it. That's what he says. He's done with these people. It's like, well, I don't think that's right. Well, then fine. You approve of them. God says no. I'm reading the text of scripture. It's like, well, that, that doesn't make sense. I want things to make sense. But when it comes to, it doesn't make sense in my Western world. And here's the text of scripture. Uh, this is collapsing. I'm going to go with the text of scripture. Which now, step two, that provides a little warning for you. These people in 1400 B.C. around that time didn't treat, be more like 1440 B.C., didn't treat the people of Israel correctly while they're in the wilderness. Remember what God told Abraham? Those who curse you, I will curse. Those who bless you, I will bless. When they came out of, the, out of Egypt as slaves in the wilderness, these people had a chance to help them. They go, hey. Let's abuse them. Let's see if we can use them for our own advantage. And God says, no, you're done. And now a thousand years later, God is still saying, nope, you didn't treat my people right. If nothing else, it says, God is sincere about his word. I'll bless those who bless you. I'll curse those who curse you. And you guys a thousand years ago chose to curse the people of Israel. So guess what? Don't even look at me. What were you saying? It's like, He's done with them. But that was a thousand years ago. He doesn't care. Which now should be a warning to how you treat Israel or the people of God or at least the word of God. If you di dismiss it, it's like there's a good chance that God is going to follow up with some kind of discipline or punishment. And he's not just going to be like, oh, well, you know, and just let it slide. Right here, the, the point of this right here, God ain't going to let it slide. You do what he tells you not to, a thousand years later, well, let me read it. On that day, the book of Moses was read aloud in the hearing of the people, and there it was found. Again, this is the book that was just made up, supposedly. But it's going back with a thousand-year grudge on these people that mistreated the supposed slaves that didn't exist, that came out of Egypt, and God right here, a thousand years later, saying, I'm still mad about that. God thinks it's historical. And then he quotes out of Deuteronomy. Basically, I'll show you the verses. No Ammonite or Moabite should ever be admitted into the assembly of God because they had not met, the, they had not met the Israelites with food and water, but had hired Balaam instead to call a curse down on them. So they could have helped the people, but instead they says, let's hire somebody to curse the people. 
Our God, however, turned that curse into a blessing. And you got those five oracles spoken of by, ba by Balaam, and every one of the oracles was a blessing, including a prophecy a couple of times about the coming Messiah. So they tried to curse him. God, but Nehemiah says, even as they're trying to curse him, God turned it into an oracle of blessing for us. When the people heard this law, they excluded from Israel all who were full of foreign descent. In other words, they take that right there. Well, this has been around for a thousand years. And they say, okay, and they started moving people out. And it's like, well, that doesn't seem very inclusive. Well, okay, I, I, we're not trying to be inclusive. We're not trying to be Western-minded. This is God bringing his chosen people back to try to restore what he had to send into captivity because they weren't obeying. And now they've got a second chance to obey. And they've decided, at least Nehemiah and Ezra in a small group, it's like, we're not going to mess it up this time. We're going to do it like he says. You're going to have to leave because God is teaching us a lesson. And we're going to do it right. So there you have it right there. And you say, well, how do you explain that? I just did. It's in the word of God. Deal with it. You can't deal with it? Well, then find another religion. All right. Here's the notes. Page one. Gosh, is there even any time left? Good night. Oh. Okay, Nehemiah. This is now the English Standard Version, if you don't mind. At chapter 12, verse 27. And at the dedication of the wall of Jerusalem, they sought the Levites in all their places because the Levites had moved out of the city because they weren't being provided for. To bring them to Jerusalem to celebrate the dedication with gladness, with thanksgiving, and with singing, with cymbals, harps, and lyres. The word underlined dedication, you can see right there, I've got it in a square. That is the word Hanukkah. And I try to do some little, it's a little more fun for me to look at the Hebrew because I can kind of sound out the word. Not as good as Tyler, the 11-year-old, but I'm getting better at it. But that is the word Hanukkah. And I've already explained it to you how it pops up with Solomon, Z Z Z Zerubbabel, and then, of course, in 165. Also interesting is, uh, it's all, it comes up later in the second line, it's also the word dedicated there, it's Hanukkah, you can see I've got it underlined, it's the word Hanukkah. The word Hanukkah doesn't mean Hanukkah, the word Hanukkah means dedication. And so when 165, they rededicated the temple, it became the holiday known as dedication, or in Hebrew, the holiday of Hanukkah, they dedicated the temple. Um, that's all written down right there on page one. Uh, Point two, the musical instruments, just for your entertainment pleasure, are symbols. There's the word. Those are bronze symbols, have been found in excavations at Hazor, Beth Shemesh. Uh, uh, oh, yeah, there's a punctuation there, shouldn't be. Megiddo, uh, they've been found there. There's a picture of some symbols that were found in Jerusalem. These are about four and a half inches big right here. They're bronze, shaped like plates with a central hollow boss. Uh, Jewish historian Josephus, though, notes that the symbols were broad and large instruments. So these are like this big. Apparently, they're playing these symbols. Uh, they, by the time Josephus writes, which would be about 400 years later, they appear to have gotten bigger. But anyway, those are symbols, and they'd be a clanging sound, a ringing sound. You've heard symbols before. Now comes the stringed instruments. There's two of them. It's hard to say what they are. I can maybe describe them for you. The word that you want to use in your language, is it harp, is it lyre? Uh, I, would, I, I would go with a bass guitar and an acoustic guitar. Uh, but, you know, so both B and C, they're different instruments. Uh, here it is. And stringed instruments is how the English standard translates it, or it is also translated harps. That is a nabalim. This was a stringed instrument made of strings of varying lengths to create the sound of different notes. Now here, forgive me, but this would be what we'd know, I, I, I would know as a harp. Something like this, if this is close right here, how do you do this? And the strings are coming down here. You've got the short strings here and the longer strings there. So just the, the length of the string is changing. That would be that instrument right there. It is thought to have been a stringed instrument because of the statement of, by Josephus where he wrote, it had 12 musical notes, so it would have 12 strings on it, and the, all, the sound would depend on how long the string was. Okay? Uh, it has a wide sound box and, and vertical arms made of, uh, of, of horn. So this would be horn material, there's vertical arms, and it would have a box, some kind of a box here that would help pick up the sound, you know, like a you know, an echo, and there's even a smaller box, maybe pick up the higher pitches or something. That would be that instrument. The next one is harp. You could call this a harp. You can call it a lyre. Uh, 
And that's what the, the translation, they're trying to find words in our language to communicate it. The next one is a harp or a lyre. It's a different word. It's, it's a kinorot, uh, a stringed instrument with strings of the same length, but of a different diameters and tensions is what this is saying. And so you'd have something like this. Uh, you could have right here. Is this a good way of doing it? And then you'd have strings going across. This would be a, a thicker string, and then you'd have your finer string here, like guitar strings. And they're all the same length, like a guitar. They're just your bass strings or however. And they would be the same time, different than what we would know as a harp. Now, a couple things interesting about this is the Sea of Galilee is shaped like a harp, which is, sounds like I'm describing the other instrument, which comes from the word kinorot. And you may have seen it, the Sea of Galilee is also known as the Sea of Kinneret. Have you ever seen it called the Sea of Kinneret on your maps? Kin yes? No? Kinneret? Okay. But it looks, the Sea of Galilee looks like a harp. Nonetheless, turn the page. And here is uh, the kinor that I just drew right here being held. This would be wrong. It's being held in these two pictures of here's that, that base right here, the, up here, and here's the strings. And they would be thicker and thinner as they go. That's in a, uh, a mural in Egypt of Semitic people moving into Egypt uh, 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 sometime around Abraham Joseph's time. And that's, that's a big mural. And you can see that is exactly the instrument right there. I took this next picture. Uh, in, this is 701, 701 B.C., this is right at Lachish. This is in Sennacherib's palace. This is a historical document, if you would. This is what they saw. You've got the Assyrian soldier there in the back with the Assyrian helmet. In, a, in, in the British Museum, I saw the remains of one of those, just like that cone-shaped bronze helmets of an Assyrian from Lachish. Uh, and in front of his three Jews, Judeans, they're from the, probably the tribe of Judah because they're down south. This is after northern Israel had fallen in 720. This is 701, and they're playing this very instrument, and you can see they're carrying it similar to how the other guy carried it. The strings are going across, and it appears they're playing as they're leaving. They're being forced to play their instruments, but that is a carved in gypsum stone. It would have been, it goes like all the way down a wall like this, goes across the wall like that and comes up another wall like this, an entire mural in the palace of Sennacherib who fought and destroyed uh, Lachish in 701 B.C. Then he marched to Jerusalem and says, you're next. And then the angel of the Lord went out and struck 185,000 of his soldiers and he goes back and builds this palace of his battle at Lachish with this. And there's many more, all kinds of details in it. But that is a legitimate picture of one of those instruments now that's just interesting that that was 700 now they've come back from captivity and they're playing these instruments they've got two types of i will say two types of guitars two types of stringed instruments i'll say a bass guitar and an electric guitar they've got a brass section of trumpets and they've got a percussion of cymbals and they're going to be able to make sounds so loud with everybody singing along that it's going to be heard all across the land Chapter 12, verse 28. And the sons of the singers gathered together from the district surrounding Jerusalem and from the towns. Uh, verse 29, also from Beth Gilgal. It talked about where those places were. And the priests, the Levites, purified themselves and the people. There's a list of everything they purified, meaning they took everything themselves, the walls, the gates, the people, and, and rededicated it to God, purified it so he would use it for his purpose. They're dedicating their whole city to God for his purpose which again is a ritual. Chapter 12, verse 31. But there's a heart attitude behind it. Then, verse 31, Nehemiah going in the first person. Then I brought the leaders of Judah up onto the wall and appointed two great choirs. And in there, I've got the word choirs underlined. I've got it in the box. The word choirs is the word toda, which means thanksgiving. That says, I appointed two great thanksgiving. And that the plural of toda would be what you see there, todat. I, I, I pointed two great thanksgivings. So this is a thanksgiving going here. This is a thanksgiving going here. And what he's saying is thanksgiving of singers, of a choir, is how it's translated. And that's why we don't have thanksgiving. We just simply have choir. You can see in the box there, the, the literal, they translated thanksgiving 
choirs. Because in just a moment, these two thanksgivings are going to start singing. It's like he has two thanksgivings on the wall. Okay? And they all start singing. Oh, you mean a choir. So it's just interesting to see how the word works. Now here's another interesting thing. You can see right here, I've got it underlined in the English standard. Remember in the NIV, it says one went to the right. They're going out this gate right here, the valley gate. Both groups are going out. Both choirs, both thanksgivings are going out this gate on the west side. Ezra is leading this one, and it's going to go to the south, to the dung gate, very clearly. The NIV says they go to their right which is a good translation. But it, if I'm at this gate and I say turn right, which way are you going? You're going north. Because our orientation, this is not good or bad, biblical or unbiblical, it's just your culture. Which way am I facing? It doesn't matter. This is right and this is left. Now watch the magic. Ho! Now it's right, let's just turn it around. It's like, how'd you do that? You're not even amazed. But because your orientation is the way you're facing they, when they talked, they always spoke from this, the orientation that they were, now nah, I'm going to, which way is east, Larry? Is that east? No, this is east, down here. That's east? <sighs> See, I'm, I have no, I, I can do right and left every time. Tony gets confused on right and left. She'll, she'll say, whenever she says left, you got like, are you, me, nor, I, I, I still don't know which way my house, I've lived in my house for 23 years, I still don't know which way is left, or which way is, she knows you, get her, you can drop her off in the desert and she starts driving. She knows where she's at. Now she, right and left, she gets confused. Nonetheless, so this is east. In the, in, in the Semitic mind, the way they're orientated, the way they speak, the way they've been raised, the way their culture is, they are always assumed they're facing east. And so when they're facing east, if you're going to go this way, it's to the right. So, I'm going to now go to the right. See, now, if I'm, if I'm a Western guy, I say I'm going to go to the right like this, I'm going to go this way. But if you're from this culture, you've got to assume that we're all thinking, when I say right, I'm thinking that I'm standing this way, deciding which way is right. This way is right. So now when you say, well, let's all go right, we'd all go this way. I wouldn't have to say, let's all go to your right, because that's right for all of us. Does that make sense? It's orientation. It's the way they're thinking. Anyway, that's what that's being said. That's why you've got, in the English standard, it says to the south, the, which means they just skip the whole right-left thing. It's like, who cares about what I just said? That's too confusing. So they just say, they went south. But how is it written in the Bible? Well, it's written right here, to the right hand. They were standing right here, and the Bible says in the original text that they stood here and they went to the right. That's the left, if you're thinking in the Western orientation. Because you're, you're, you're looking west, I'm going left. But they're standing here, looking this way, thinking, now which way is right? Let me think. Okay, that's east, so that's right, if that makes sense. And that's what that's being said. That's just interesting. I find that interesting. Uh, I put this in point two. Uh, Psalm 48 may fit well at this occasion, and in, my intention was to stop and read to you Psalm 48. But... Uh, we don't know for sure, but there's a couple psalms, because there's a lot of singing going on. There's probably people writing songs for the occasion. I mean, if Prince was going to be there at the Super Bowl, he'd write a song or he'd sing his hits or something. These guys are, I mean, the priests, the singers are going to play their best hits. I mean, they're not going to think of, you know, you know, no one likes this song. They're going to be singing their best hits. And it may be uh, Psalm 48, maybe one, the verses 12 through 14 say this. Uh, walk about Zion, go around her, number her towers, consider well her ramparts, go through her citadels, that you may tell the next generation that this is God, our God forever and ever. He will guide us forever. And that would be a fitting song that maybe is recorded in song, because some of the psalms, now this would be true, some of the psalms may be being written and inserted, caught up into the collection. There Many of them are written by David and, and during the days of the kings. Some of them may have been written. Even the psalm, uh, uh, you know, they, they, in Babylon, they want us to sing our song in Babylon. How can we sing? And they hung their harps up. They wouldn't sing. These the instruments we were talking about, they went up. They said, now sing a song for us. They said, how can we sing the songs of Zion? All the great rock and roll songs from Zion. They say, sing some old songs over here. We've been listening to them for years. We want to hear it. It's like, we can't sing 
Zion songs in Babylon? Well, obviously that psalm was written where? In Babylon. So that would be an example of some scripture being written and collected into with the other psalms. So how many psalms? We've got 150. How many psalms were there when they went into captivity? How many are there in 444 B.C.? When are they writing the final psalm? Well, that's still possibly being written. That's psalms. That's not making up history. That's writing songs. Nonetheless, uh, bottom of page 4, page 5. Chapter 12, verse 32. And after them went, and here's a whole list of names. I'm not going to put you through that again. But these guys are all marching here. And you're going to basically have uh, these instruments. They've got set every direction. Every, this direction going to the south. This direction going to the north. Each is being led by seven priests with seven trumpets. So coming around here, seven trumpets, followed by the two guitars, Types, two types of guitars, and the percussion cymbals uh, going around here, and this way the same. Now, now you wonder, I never thought of this, are they playing the same song? I mean, here it's like, they've got one song going, they've got another song going, it's going to get real confusing as they meet here in the middle. They probably planned it out or something, but you know, maybe they can hear each other. Maybe it's so loud they just pick up on the same song. That would be pretty impressive. Everybody, it's like, talk about stereo. You got on the walls of Jerusalem. Nonetheless, thank you for being here. I'm just thinking. Uh, verse 36 goes on, talks about this, and it says, And Ezra the scribe went before them. Chapter 12, verse 37. At the fountain gate, they went straight up before them up the stairs. These are the stairs of David. I went through all this before. Um, you can notice in chapter 12, verse 38, it says there, The other choir in the English Standard, in the box right there, it says, uh, And Thanksgiving. There it says, And Thanksgiving, the second Thanksgiving, goes this way, which is referring to the second choir. And then it describes all these places. I'd really like to stop and point all those things out, but we spent a lot of time on it already. It's in your booklet. Uh, but I spent a lot of time trying to locate all those and take pictures of them. And turn the page, chapter 12, verse 42. And these are some names and the leaders that were with them. Uh, chapter 12, verse 43. Now they are on the Temple Mount. They've met right here, both groups. And they offered great sacrifice. So now they're offering animal sacrifices and rejoice. They're still singing. They're still celebrating. For God had made them rejoice with great joy. You see that there's fellowship there between God and his people, the priests that are making connection with God. God's joy is there. The, the word of God is real to them. They, they're understanding that they are the people of God, that God's got a plan for them, that they've been chosen by God. And the joy of Jerusalem was heard far away, and five times the word joy is mentioned there. There's the map on page, whatever page that is. I turn the page now. Chapter 12, verse 44. Hustling through this. I appreciate you being here chapter 12 verse 44 on that day again like i said uh you can there's some question about the timing of these next two sets of verses but it appears the way it's put in the english that this is going to come after this but the whole issue right here is the storerooms the store rooms which is going to be where the tithe and the offerings are going to be kept and that's the grocery stores for the priests and the Levites and the singers, anyone who's functioning in the temple. And so the people are responsible to keep the grocery store full so these priests can keep doing the work of God. And that is the focus right here. That's the focus. You shut this down, the people drift away, they catch up with other gods, your culture's back in captivity. So bring in the storeroom, the groceries, so we can give it to those that are functioning here on the temple mount it's for the good of well it's god's command it's for the good of the nation and so there it is uh on that day men were appointed over the storerooms you guys are in charge of making sure the shelves are full they're the managers of the grocery store men were appointed to manage the shelves on the you have the fruit and vegetable aisle you've got the milk aisle you've got the and they're in charge of making sure the pre-show up hey where is i need to get some milk Here's the milk right here, or whatever they've got in their storerooms. Uh, and again, it's, it's all connected to religion. They're honoring God with their gifts, but the gifts are going to the people for their natural needs so they can do the spiritual work. The natural needs need to be taken care of, so they need to do the spiritual work. Uh, to gather them from the portions required by the law for the priests and for the Levites according to the fields of the towns, 
For Judah rejoiced over the priests and the Levites who ministered. They loved the band. The band sounded great. The sacrifice. We want to keep this going. Let's fill up the storerooms to keep this going. So when we come to Jerusalem, the priests are always, the music's playing. The sacrifice are being offered. The Levites are teaching. We're going to be the people of God. Let's, all right, this is what we want to do. And everybody's on board with it. Chapter 12, verse 45. And they performed the service of their God and the service of purification as did the singers and the gatekeepers according to the command of God and his command of David and his son Solomon. Again, I pointed that out. They're following ancient directions. For a long, again, imagine telling a group of people that have never heard of this temple, and what do you mean a tithe? Why am I going to give? Who am I giving this money to? Well, it's, it's a special group of migrants that are coming across the border. We want all of you to give 10% of everything you've got to these. It's like, now you're making this up. I ain't giving my stuff away. This is getting a job like everybody else. The whole, no, one's got a, no one's saying that. They understand this is the policy. These guys are the priests in charge of the temple. They're not like, what temple? Why is there a temple here? Who is this God? Everybody's on board, and they know the reason they're coming back from captivity is they screwed it up the first time. I mean, it's no one saying, what is this? It's like, we know we did it wrong the first time. All right. Uh, verse tw- chapter 12, verse 46. For long ago in the days of David and Asaph, there were directors of the singers. Long ago, there was a list of who the singers were. Asaph was in charge of getting it organized along with David. And there were songs of praise. There used to be a whole collection of songs. Where are those songs at? And thanksgiving to God. And, of course, they would be in the, the book of Psalms. Now, here's interesting for you right here. Here is a genealogy. You've got Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Levi. Then you come down to Levi. And out of Levi, you're going to have three sons, Gershon, Kohath, and Merari. Those are his three sons. Just for the sake, this is Levi. And he's got three sons. This we're going to call this one Gershom. We've got a G, we've got a K, and we've got an M right here. Now, Kohath is going to have uh, uh, some sons. You can see his four sons there. One of them is going to be named Aram. Aram is going to have three children, one is going to be Aaron, one is going to be Miriam, and the other is going to be Moses. Now, Aaron is going to, oh, excuse me, that's Aram. Aaron right here is going to be the priest. And he's going to have four sons. One of them is going to be the high priest after him. Nathan and Abihu, uh, Dayton, Nathan, Dathan and Abihu, they burn the wrong incense and they drop dead. So the first two priests get killed by God because they didn't do it right. So one of his other sons becomes the high priest after him and the priest will continue. All of Gershom's sons, which is Kohath's brother, are going to be Levites. All of Merari's sons are going to be Levites. In fact, you can see right there, Gershon is going to be in charge of carrying the curtains of the tabernacle. Merari is going to be in charge of the frames. You can imagine setting up the circus. You ever seen the circus come to town? That's, that's what it looks like. And then Kohath will be the, the first group in, the last group out. Or the first, yeah, the first group in, the last group to come back in and set up. He's bringing in the furniture. They'd carry the Ark of the Covenant. But Kohath has one, two, three, four sons. Three of those sons are not Aram. They're going to be other sons over here of, of Gershom. And those guys are also going to be Levites. So you got Levites from Gershom, Levites from Merari, and Levites from Kohath that are not descendants of Aaron, if that makes sense. So that is the Levites. Now notice right there, Korah. Right there, right, right next to Moses, the name Korah. That is Moses' cousin who decided, you know the rebellion of Korah, I think we should be to be priests instead of Levites. Because the priests were a little more honored. They, had a little, you know, they got to actually go in and do certain things. And of course, they were then destroyed in anyone who joined them. But some of his sons, as you know, separated from the destruction. And they are known as the sons of Korah, who end up being singers along with Asaph, because Asaph is going to organize three groups of singers. And so one of those groups is going to be the sons of Korah, and they're going to have separated from their father, the rebel, and they'll still be writing songs and are still known as the sons of Korah 
when they come back from captivity. Uh, chapter 12, verse 47, And all Israel in the days of Zerubbabel and in the days of Nehemiah gave the daily portions for the singers and the gatekeepers, and they set apart that which was for the Levites, and the Levites set apart that which was for the sons of Aaron down here. So that's all good. That's all. See, that's, that's a big system. That whole system is up and running. It's not just a governmental system. It's the priestly system because that is as important as having a government is as important as having this spiritual guidance system going for the nation so we're all on board with it as you know by the time we get to chapter 13 they've cleared the storehouses out and moved some foreigners in they've got a new idea they got a new idea new progressive policy we're going to make instead of having all of us tax we're going to end up paying taxes to the government whatever they got the plan nehemiah comes back and cleans it up i'm going to quit but we do have these verses i'll probably fix this next week but it's going to be where they read the law of moses apparently at the very same time they're going to read the law of moses and find out Wait, we're not supposed to be mingling with these people. If we want God to bless us, we can't be mingling with the people that God has cursed because they've cursed us in the past. And they're going to separate from them. Then when Nehemiah comes back, they've broken that policy also. On the back page is a Psalm 147 that possibly is also a psalm from this time. We don't know for sure. It's just one that possibly fits. Uh, the part that I've got in bold, the Lord builds up Jerusalem. He gathers the outcasts of Israel builds up Jerusalem, gathers them back. And verse 13, for he strengthens the bars of your gates. He blesses your children within you. And that's he's gathered the people. He's built Jerusalem. He's strengthened the bars of the gates. And now your children can go on to the next generation and get this thing back on track. And that'd be a nice psalm that would be maybe, maybe a psalm that they were singing as they're clanging their cymbals, blasting their trumpets and jamming on their guitars, marching around on the walls. And of course, I've got a picture of, of the walls in the book and uh, on the back page of there of walking on the walls. I will pray, and we are done. I appreciate you taking time to be here. Father, we do thank you for the chance to look into these things. We ask that we would honor you, that we would take the, your word serious, allow it to transform our lives. We ask that we would trust you for direction our life and the direction our culture. And we do pray for our churches and our nation that we may see revival, that we may do in America what Nehemiah has done to his people and help them get on the right track. We do thank you for this opportunity. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for being here.